from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair podcast conversation. For those of you who know, we've been bringing you these conversations between our regularly scheduled podcast episodes in order to give everyone a better picture of what's going on in the alcohol beverage industry. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Hillary and Megan Klein, uh, the owners of Gust Wines. Hillary, Megan, what's up? What's up? Thank you so much for having us. Appreciate it, Adam. Of course. So just so that, you know, everyone knows, I got two of you, which one is Hillary talking and which one is Megan? (laughs) Okay, so I'm Hillary. I've heard we have a similar voice, though, so I hope uh, I hope they'll be just <laughs> enough from each other. Yes, and hi everyone. I am Megan Klein. Um, so sisters, yes, yes. Talk to me about Gust. Yeah, so we started Gust back in 2017. Um, our whole goal with Gust was to make really great and beautiful wines from the new AVA, the Petaluma Gap. Okay. Yeah. But you didn't start Gus just out of like having no background in wine, right? <laughs> correct. Correct. So um, we are part of the second generation of Klein family sellers. We've both been working with our family, I think for the past five years, maybe it's six years now. Is that right, Hill? Yeah, about six years in different roles at Klein. Um, and we, through Klein, you know, our family had planted vineyards in the Petaluma Gap about 30 years ago um, in the early 90s. So we uh, grew up part of our childhood out on those vineyards in the Petaluma Gap too, and and kind of have always been in and out of the wine business. And then in in recent years, as uh, my dad gets a little older, we've gotten more and more involved. (laughs) And then we really wanted to uh, kind of put our own spin on things. You know, Klein has been around for so long, and it's just uh, so much about Zinfandel and these Rhone bridles where we were super excited about um, Pinot, Chard, and uh, cooler climate region of the Petaluma Gap. So that's kind of really what inspired us to go out on our own with Gust. So had you, like, so for both of you, like, was there a time when you had thought about not going into the wine industry? Like, were you sort of like, did, is this something you always knew you wanted to pursue because you had the family connection to it? Um and the reason I ask is because I sort of feel like when I talk to to winemakers from like Europe, they always say how like they feel like their their kids now, like our generation is not going into wine, right? It's like, I don't want to do that anymore, even though four generations before me all did it. And like, we are now, we do the American way. Um, but I actually feel like that's a misunderstanding because a lot of Americans, I think, do go into wine if they're, I mean, come on, if your family owns a vineyard, it's a cool business to be in. But I'm wondering if you had ever thought about not doing it or what you had thought, like what caused you to decide to ultimately go into the family business? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I for sure never thought I was going to be in the wine industry. I think growing up around it, you're like, oh, God, wine's so boring. Like, there's nothing to do here. <laughs> um, and then you move away and you're like, oh, my God, we live in or we grew up in the most beautiful place in the world. But I I for sure was like, I want to live on the beach. I want to live in a city. Um, and so I moved to Santa Barbara and uh-huh. actually got into wine down there. So I got into wine separate from working with my family and uh, got really into the sales part of wine, like got into the Psalm world and then eventually decided to move back home and figured yeah, uh, if I'm going to work in wine, Sonoma is probably the place to be with my family. Oh, that's super cool. So you were like in Santa Barbara doing the whole like 
sort of the downtown like wine what is it they have like a wine crawl downtown right don't they yeah the funk zone i worked in the funk zone and yeah i got (laughs) super into um the psalm world and like took my certified sommelier course and did all of that and then uh realized i wanted to do something like i i wanted to work in the production side of wine instead of the the sales part oh cool where you're actually like creating something tangible uh, versus just selling something. Were you um, on the floor or were you, uh, were you doing a, a lot of both, I, a lot of things? Well, I was, I was working um, at tasting rooms actually in the funk zone, but um, worked with my, my coworkers were going through their SOM test and kind of convinced me to join. And that's where I really was like falling back in love with, with wine back to my Very roots. Cool. Yeah. And Hillary, what about you? Yeah, I definitely, same. I think my parents were really good about not pushing it on us at all. And so I I moved to Portland and I studied very, very connected to wine here, psychology and Russian. <laughs> and I spent a year um, after college in Siberia. I did a Fulbright there and Anyway, was on this whole other path with Russian language and and translation and that kind of thing. And then my parents kind of talked to me and I think they're, they really came to this point where, you know, family owned businesses, it's like either someone's going to step up and get involved or they have to think about selling. And I know they really didn't want to. So yeah, I was maybe around 25 or so and they were like, okay, so do you want to come, do you want to come work here? And I don't know. There's just so many feelings that are connected to the winery growing up around it and stuff. So I definitely wanted to try it out at least. Um, so I started with Klein doing wholesale sales, which that was that was a very interesting world to jump into. Um, and it's yeah, uh, it, I was calling on accounts in San Francisco, so that was quite an education. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> And then, and then I also um, wanted to learn more about production. So I, I did a, a couple harvests with other producers. So I worked a harvest with Sojourn, um, in San, at their Santa Rosa facility, and then um, a harvest in New Zealand uh, with Perno, and then worked another harvest, a viticulture harvest for Perno here in the U.S. too. So I, I've been trying to get kind of different angles of the industry just because I felt like I didn't have a a solid background when I started back with the family. Makes sense. And so, um, and is it just the two of you as, as the, the kids or are there others? Our brother, Henry, he just started, uh, he is 23, right Megs? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love that you have to ask. That's awesome. Cause I don't know how old my brother is either. So it's fine. (laughs) To be be fair, we, there are seven kids in the Klein family. So keeping track of everyone's age is, definitely a task. <laughs> yeah. So he just joined, um, working for the family at like okay. a month ago or so. And so he's really interested in the viticulture piece. He's, um, my dad, that's what my dad's super passionate about. And he's kind of, uh, given Henry a lot of, of passion surrounding that. So he's, uh, just starting to learn about vineyards and yeah. Awesome. So talk to me about then, so you, you both decide to come back to the family business, uh, but then, but not just doing wines under the Klein name, you decide to start Gust. So what was the reason for that? Um, and why did you decide to do it together? 
So I think Hillary talked about it a little bit. I think we just always really gravitated more towards these cooler climate wines. And we knew that there was so much potential in the vineyards that we had access to that, you know, for the most part, all of the the grapes that we had planted were going into one big blend. And we saw this opportunity where we have, you know, these amazing site orientations and clones and um, just like really beautiful vineyards that we knew we could create something super special. Yeah. And I think when I was out selling wine, I did it for, for four or something years. And I think going to restaurants and talking to different people, people were very excited about the Petaluma Gap. They're, you know, very, get very excited about these like small projects. So I definitely uh-huh. felt that if, you know, hand, if we put in the effort to make like handcrafted, artisanal, you know, our own spin and kind of really highlight the Petaluma Gap, people would respond to it. Definitely. Yeah. And as far as working together, I think that's always been my favorite part about working with my family is being able to work with Hill and my dad. And um, we we work really well together. And we knew that uh, we could create something super cool. So what is it about the Petaluma Gap that's so special? So it's it's a really interesting growing region. It's the only AVA that is based on wind. And the the wind is super cool. It creates smaller berries. Um, and then you also have thicker skins. Um, so you're getting a bigger like skin to juice ratio. So the wines are super, super textured. Okay. And it's also, you know, part of the Sonoma Coast. So you have this longer growing season uh, with the fog in the morning and then, you know, those cooler afternoon winds. Um, so you're getting that really full flavor development as well. Very cool. Um, and so what wines are you making? So we make a Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Syrah. And then we are soon to be releasing our single vineyard, uh, Pinot and Chardonnay. Uh, okay. So right now they're sort of from a few vineyards and, and then you're going single vineyard what, in the next year or so, or even sooner than that? Next month, we are releasing oh, wow. our first vintages of our single vineyard. What made you want to do single vineyard? Um, we just zeroed in on our, our favorite blocks on our catapult ranch, uh, which is one of the vineyards that we work with. Um, and, and just tasted those individual barrel lots and in from those individual sites and, and loved them. Mm -hmm. I think for cat, so the one vineyard we focus on catapult ranch is really unique. And I think it's something only in the Petaluma wind gap. So that you would hear it's, uh, what our higher elevation vineyard, which uh, in the gap translates to it actually being a warmer uh, climate there. So the wines can be a little bit more fruit forward, uh, a little bit richer, a little bit rounder uh, as compared to our other ranch, the Diamond Pile Ranch that's on the valley floor. I think most AVAs that would be opposite, but because of the way the fog sits and the the wind uh comes in we we kind of get to experience something very unique and we we really wanted to highlight that with the single vineyards from catapult very cool so basically talk to me about building the brand so obviously you decided to start this in 2017 was that when you decided to start or that was the first vintage you released that was our first vintage so okay we we had decided to start earlier in 2017 Okay. Um, so like January. And then that was our first harvest as well. Okay, cool. And so then it's, so when did bottles first hit the market? 
Uh, last, our first release was last March, so exactly a year ago. Kind of a bad time to release wines. Yes, uh, <laughs> but I'm curious about that. Um, so yeah, so so what was your plans for the brand prior to COVID, and how did things change? Like, who did you think? So first of all, how many cases did you make? So we made about 200 cases of the Chardonnay, 400 of the Pinot, and 200 of the Syrah. Okay, so very boutique. Yeah. Who who was the market? Like, who were you going after? Was this going to be, I guess, prior to COVID, was this, was this supposed to be a restaurant brand? Was this a collector's brand? Like, who did you want ultimately when you had made that amount of wine to buy the wine? Yeah, so we definitely, we wanted to focus on DTC and restaurants. I think okay. that's like a classic uh, formula for this type of brand. Obviously, that uh, thing's changed a little bit. And yep. so when we did finally send it out wholesale, the one thing we had no UPCs anywhere. So we have had to strip label a little bit. So, and we're trying to get it into uh, higher end retailers where I think that they can, you know, tell the stories of these kinds of wines just as well. Um, so that's definitely been a pivot and, and we have continued to try and focus on DTC. I think the hardest part is not being able to try the wines with people. Yeah. Um, and trying to translate, you know, that experience um, virtually or, you know, that that whole challenge that the entire industry has been struggling with. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really – so we've had this conversation a lot uh, recently about, you know, what it's been like for brands who launched basically at the beginning of COVID and, and how they've, you know, been able to adapt and, and figure things out. And so you're obviously a perfect example of this, right? So – um, you know, obviously people were able to, to pivot to DTC who already had sort of a customer base and things like that. But, um, since no one really tried the wines, I'm curious what sort of things you tried to do in order to, you know, still get Gust out there. Did you go to like, did you try to push to current Klein drinkers? Yes, exactly. Yes. We have so many loyal, I mean, people who drink Klein love Klein and they've been following my dad for so many years and are so committed to the brand. And I think because they feel they get great value out of the wines um, and just love the, I think that it's been a family for so many years and um, the flavor profiles. And so we did that. That was something we weren't originally planning on doing. We were trying to keep it as separate as possible. Um, but it is something we ended up doing, uh, is kind of just sending it out through Klein to those long-term loyal club members and followers. And they, they embraced it pretty, pretty hard. I think we had met a lot of them from growing up at the winery over the years. So I think they, they responded really enthusiastically, which was so amazing. That's awesome. So yeah. then, you know, obviously that was one of the pivots and then you talked a little bit about high-end retailers. Did you mostly like, so obviously for in certain regions of the country, or let's say like, honestly, for the most part, you know, in California, I would assume Petaluma Gap is known, right? In New York, like, and this is always the knock that New York gets, right? That we actually are more, we get more European wine in our stores uh, than, than California wine. So when you were talking about higher end retailers, did you have sort of markets you decided you needed to go to? Because I would assume that, you know, you're, you were facing two barriers, which is the education on the new brand and also education on the new ABA. So where were your targets and sort of who did you go after? 
Yeah, definitely. We have super strong relationships in California. And I think that's just a natural place for us to start. So even, you know, as small as starting in Petaluma itself, and then kind of moving out from there into the city and then and then Southern California, which is such an important, huge market, you know, and I think um, there's a lot, a lot going on down there also. So we're really right now focusing on California. And then we also have a really great distributor in Illinois, uh, Heritage Wines. And um, they, they have just taken us on. And so, and so we're just slowly working into with our distributors where it makes sense and kind of slowly introducing uh, the wines. Whereas I think we wanted a little bit kind of stronger, faster approach, but it's actually, we've been able to spend more time on each launch and really kind of do it in a more surgical way, which has mm-hmm. been helpful. Um, have you traveled at all to no. some of these retailers or no? So you're, so you're also doing it all via like Zoom and all things virtual. like that. Right? Yeah. All yeah. virtual, yeah. What's that been like? Megan's been doing most of those, so I'll let her. Yeah, no, it's been good. I mean, I definitely miss being able to do this kind of thing in person where you're with them tasting, but it's nice. We have little small, cute tasting bottles that we send out, so we're still (laughs) able to taste the wines with people. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's totally different. Um, Not bad, but I'm excited for the time when I can go out to these markets and meet these people and, you know, present the wines in person for sure. So, yeah, so, so I guess you both are, you, you brought up the point that I'm curious about. So uh, how have you divided sort of the labor in terms of the, the brand? Like does one of you handle one section of the brand and the other handle the other, or do you kind of both do everything? We both do a little bit of everything for sure. I think, um, yeah, I don't know how, what, what. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we both do kind of do everything. Megan has been shouldering a lot more of um, like launching and kind of those kinds of things. Just I've been out of commission a little bit um, due to health reason just this year. So she's been taking over that part, which I've been super thankful for. But yeah, that's otherwise normal times. We're both involved in everything really involved. So, so post COVID. Where do you sort of see the, you know, gust going? Do you think you'll, will you go back to your original strategy of, you know, going back to restaurants as sort of the um, ambassadors for the wine? Um, You know, have you, has this caused you to reevaluate completely sort of how you want to get the wine to the market? Have you even started to have those, those thoughts yet? Or are we still too far away? I'm curious sort of where your heads are at there. Yeah, I, that uh, man i i do think people undersell the value of retailers and you know i think it's been this classic strategy to always go on premise only on premise only but i think i think retailers have a great ability to tell tell a story as well so i think that's not something we want to abandon at all but definitely as restaurants reopen we want to be part of, of their programs as much as possible. You know, I, it'll, I think it still remains to be seen how wine programs and how the entire situation is going to change moving forward. But, um, no, I think it's interesting. I mean, we've talked about this a lot at Vine Pair for the last few years that we felt like retailers were getting ignored just because it's, it's a lot cooler, right. To go to an awesome restaurant and sit down and your wines on the list. 
Um, but retailers obviously have, have in a lot of ways and a, a deeper connection with their customers, right? Cause their cust- they might see their customers once a week, whereas the restaurant might only see that customer once a year. And so I think, yeah, it's interesting to hear you say this as well. COVID's made a lot of people reevaluate, especially fine wine, reevaluate the, um, the importance of retailers as, as a path to discovery and, you know, loyalty. So that's, that's interesting that sort of you're going through the same process that a lot of other, you know, high, high end wines are going through. So, you know, what, where would you like to see Gust in five years? Like where, where, where would you like this brand to be? I mean, do you want it to be at the level of Klein? You know, do you, do you want it to, to always maintain it, its sort of status as a, as a boutique brand? Um, what would your goals be? Yeah, I think we, I think we want to keep it small boutique, really focused. Um, you know, there, I think there's the possibility of bringing in new wines, but for now, um, for the next five years, I think we really want to dial in the Pinot, Chardonnay, Syrah, make, make those to the highest level possible. I don't think our goal is ever to be at the level of Klein. I think we, we want to stay really, really focused. And do you think that, Gust will we will see some influences on Klein from Gust. I definitely think so. I think that you know, um, everybody at Klein works really closely together, and we we all do tastings together, and we kind of taste competitive set and um, all of that. And a lot of the Pinot and Chard that we grow on these properties is used in the Klein programs. Um, uh, also. So I definitely think just kind of introducing this whole idea of higher end wines from the Petaluma Gap is already influencing um, the style of the Chard and the Pinots that we're putting out um, through Klein. Well, Hillary and Megan, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me a little bit about Gust. Um, where can people find the wines right now? So right now they are available through our website, just gustwines.com. Um, and that, yeah, you can find our current 2018 releases there. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. I wish you both the best of luck in continuing to launch this brand. And I hope at some point we can meet in person in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Adam. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also... I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making the show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.